behalf of the church in Chile, thank you for the long-standing support that you have given to us uh, every week. Uh, thank you for Martha. I don't see there. I see her there. Uh, we're really thankful for the ministry that Martha has here in this church. She's kind of the conduit through which our prayer requests come to you, and so we're we're thankful for her faithful ministry there. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you for upholding us before the Lord and standing with us in support of our ministry there. We really believe that we are an extension of Seneca Community Church to Ireland, and we are your representatives there. Uh, and you've, in a sense, you've deputized us to act on your behalf there in Chile. Um, so we're grateful. I do want to send, uh, uh, draw your attention to, as you go through the, the doors in the back there after the service, there's a table with some literature on it uh, concerning our ministry agency. That's Biblical Ministries Worldwide. If you're curious as to know what, what it is that BMW, we, we shorten it, BMW. Cars don't come with that ministry. Um, but if you're interested in, in knowing more about Biblical Ministries Worldwide, there are, there's literature there for you. Uh, we do have new prayer cards. If you'd like an up-to-date picture of who we are, uh, that's there as well. Please take that, put it someplace in your, your home or your office or wherever it is that you live uh, and, and use that to remember us in prayer. And there's also a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to receive our missionary updates, our prayer updates, you can receive that personally, individually in your home. Uh, simply put your name down and, and your email address, and we will add you to that list. Uh, please write legibly. I have trouble reading my own handwriting, um, and so I'm not very good at that. But uh, please, if you're interested, uh, sign, sign your name up there and your email address, and that will take care of that. I do want to draw your attention to the Word of God this morning, and I'm really grateful. It's an honor for me to be able to share the Word with you this morning. Uh, if you take your Bibles uh, and turn to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, uh, we're going to be working our way through the chapter. We're certainly not going to cover everything that's there. Uh, it's a long chapter, 32 verses. Uh, we won't be looking at each verse individually, but we will be drawing some truths from this passage. I do want to read a portion of the passage, and as I begin to read, I think you'll, you'll, it'll be familiar to you. This is Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. Uh, Luke begins this record of Jesus' words with these. Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he joined himself, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And 
he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger, on his hand rather, and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you have never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Why don't we just bow in a word of prayer before we go further. Father in heaven, we thank you. What a privilege it is to be together as your people today. To give you the praise and the honor that you are worth, and more. Father, we we could never give the right amount of praise to you. There is so much more to be given, so much more to be said, so much more to know and to learn about you. And as we gather that information, it fills our hearts with thanksgiving, and Father, we're gladly here today. And we trust that you have been honored in what we have offered to you by way of song. And we also now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would, you would be honored with the thoughts that fill our heads as a result of this passage. Lord, give us an understanding heart. Give us an understanding mind. Help us to concentrate for these brief few moments. And we trust that you would be honored not only with what we sing, not only in the response that we give, but in the words that we say to one another, Father. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. I don't often do this with the messages that I have the privilege of, of, of giving, but I've given this message a, 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 a title, and the title is simply a, a Heavenly Perspective for an Earthly Journey. The dictionary defines the word perspective as a specific point of view in understanding or judging things and events. In other words, it's the way we view things. It's the, the way we see things. It's the way we think about things. We might even be able to substitute, although I don't think this is a synonym, we might even be able to substitute the word opinion for perspective. And as opinions go, we all have them. Just sit down and talk to one another for a while. Talk about politics. Talk about local events, community events. Talk about religion. Talk about ethics. Talk about morality. Talk about sports. Uh, We all have opinions, and, and those opinions are scattered over a broad range of things. And we are affected by the opinions of each other. 
none of us is neutral, and as we share time and life together, our opinions are, are, are have an effect on other people. And our perspectives over time change. Uh, we left the United States in June of 1989, and Amanda was six months pregnant, but we had been married since 1985. We just celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary early this month. Uh, when we first got married, we thought we knew what it was like to be parents. We, we, we had all the theory down. Our perspectives on parenting were very concrete, very specific, until Leah was born. And as all of you who have children know, that whatever you thought you knew beforehand, you realized you didn't know much of anything after the fact. So our, our perspectives about child rearing, our perspectives about parenting changed because of experience. They changed because of time. They changed because of education. And sometimes those changes happen unconsciously. They don't always happen, and we're not always aware that they've changed until maybe sometime after they have. But there are other times where our perspectives are challenged. And when we, we recognize the, the, the falsehood or the, the problems with the perspectives we presently hold, we need to make choices in order to change those other kinds of perspectives. And sometimes those, those changes are painful. Sometimes those changes require sacrifice. Sometimes those changes require, require struggle on our part. But I think we would all recognize that the only lasting eternal changes are produced on the basis of God's word through the ministry of God's spirit. And this morning I want to take us to this passage of scripture and ask the question, what are our perspectives concerning lost people? How do we view lost people? What opinions do we have about lost people? Lost people, of course, are those who are unsaved. How do we look at them? How do we deal with them? How do we relate to them? How do we think about them? As, as Luke begins this chapter, he says that as Jesus came and as people were drawing near to him, he spoke a parable to them. That was Jesus' habit of public teaching, teaching in parables. A parable was simply a story. It would have been a very familiar story. Here, there are three separate sections to this one parable. There's a portion of this chapter that is dedicated to a story about a shepherd and a lost sheep. Secondly, there is a, 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 a section of this parable that deals with a woman with a lost coin. And finally, as we read earlier, a portion of this passage that deals with a father and his lost son. And, and Jesus tells this parable, really the, the second section is more life, more, more, more pertinent to our lives than maybe the first two. But needless to say, Jesus told this story. It would have been something that the people that, he's, that are, he's speaking to would have, would have already seen, would have already experienced. It was a common, everyday kind of thing. It was a real-life situation. And uh, Luke actually tells us in the first verse of this chapter <coughs> why Jesus told this verse, uh, this passage, why he told this story. Verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. So as this group of individuals, there's already a, a great multitude that have already gathered together to hear Jesus. 
We read that back in verse 25 of chapter 14. Now a great multitude went with him as he was traveling. This multitude was following him. This large crowd was following him. And part of that crowd, Luke tells us, was made up of tax collectors and sinners. The worst of the worst in terms of the the, the way society viewed people in that day. Tax collectors were Jewish people working in collaboration with the Romans to gather tax for the Roman Empire. They were despised. Generally speaking, they were Jewish people that had worked or were working with the Roman government. Jews hated them, treated them as such, traitors to their own people, sinners, you know, the, 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 the last rung on the, the despicable ladder. These were the people that the, the, the society at large would have overlooked, would have avoided, and would have condemned. These are the kinds of people that are gathered to listen to Jesus tell the story. But notice what happens as a result of these people coming. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes complained. They, they grumbled. They had a hard time with what Jesus was doing. This man, he, they say, that is Jesus, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Well, that doesn't sound very bad. Uh, you're, some of you are going to share a meal after the service today. Most of us will eat sometime in the day or have already done so. And we'll do that with family or friends. That doesn't sound like such a bad thing, does it? But you have to realize the perspective that the Pharisees had concerning what was taking place. They, just as a, as a, as a way of understanding their mindset, turn over to chapter 18 for just a moment. Chapter 18 of Luke's Gospel, verses 10 through 14. Also, he, Jesus, this is in verse 9, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, we won't go on reading the rest of the passage. It's about the the tax collector and the Pharisee. I'll leave that to you for reading later this afternoon. The the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, those same individuals who we read back in verse chapter 15, who are gathered and listening to Jesus speak. They, they looked at themselves as having already arrived religiously, already arrived righteously. They believed themselves to be righteous. They were living a righteous life. They were ri- living a life right with God. That was their perspective. And anyone who didn't measure up to their standard of righteousness, they despised. They looked down upon. They judged as being less than themselves. These are the same people that Jesus speaks to here. He, he particularly points this story to them as Luke records it. Again, verse 3 of chapter 15. So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them. They needed a perspective change. Jesus is challenging the way that they view lost people. For Jesus to receive these sinners and and tax collectors was tantamount to being not only nice to them, but participating in their sinful life. That's what was going through the minds of the Pharisees. Those were the kinds of thoughts they held concerning lost people and Jesus' connection to them. 
He was guilty by association. So Jesus initiates a challenge. And I said, this parable is broken up into three sections. The part that deals with the shepherds and the sheep, the part that deals with a woman and a coin, and then finally, the part that deals with a father and a son. And there are commonalities that come out of each of these three sections. And those are the things that I want us to think about this morning. As I said, we're not going to go verse by verse through this, but we're going to try and draw something out of this that will help us and challenge our own perspective in terms of our faith. The first thing I, that, that I noticed as I studied through this passage was that, that God cares for lost people. God cares or God loves lost people. That shepherd cared for the sheep. It wasn't just that that sheep wasn't just a means of making a living for him. He was connected to that sheep. That sheep was important to him, as were the 99 that he left. He cared for that sheep. He loved that sheep. The woman, as we continue through the passage, the woman whose coin went missing, she cared Maybe it's a little stretched to say she loved the coin, but she certainly cared for the coin, didn't she? She cared about the coin. It didn't amount to much money in and of itself, but it may have made the difference between her family eating or not. It would have made a real impact, the loss of it would have made a, a real impact in her family. She cared for that coin. It's obvious as we read the, second, the last section of this passage that the father cared for his son. Cared for both of his sons, actually. He cared for that son who wandered away, who left the home. God cares for, God loves lost people. <clears throat> On Wednesday night, we were with another church uh, down in uh, south of Buffalo. And we were looking at a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 36 through the end of the chapter. And, and this is not something that's unique to this portion of Scripture. It's repeated at other places as well. But notice what Matthew says about Jesus in this passage. This is chapter 9, verses 36 and following. But when he saw the multitudes, that he is Jesus, he was moved with compassion for them, that is the audience, the people that he's, he's meeting, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus had compassion on those kinds of people, and the kinds of people that he had compassion on there are the very kinds of people that were gathering to him here back in Luke chapter 15. He loved those people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus reflected the love of God for lost people through his life and in particular through his death, his sacrificial death. God cares for lost people. There's a second point, though, in this passage. Not only does God care for lost people, not only does God love lost people, but God seeks lost people. Again, referring back to the passage, the parable. The shepherd 
loved that sheep. And because he loved that sheep, when it went lost, he went to find it. He sought for it. And I'm sure that that search didn't end casually. He didn't approach the search for this sheep in a casual, flippant way. He loved that sheep, and that, sh that love drew him to move in action. It drew him to seek out that sheep. The woman certainly would have missed that coin. And so because it was lost, it says that she swept her house. She lit a lamp, swept her house, and searched carefully until she found it. That coin would make a difference if she searched for it. And finally, the father, in the second, the last section of the, the passage, that father was seeking for his son. Now, he didn't leave home as the shepherd did. But he was looking. Notice verse 20. And he, that is the son, arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and ran had compassion, rather, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father, because of his love, was looking for his son. Even though the son wasn't looking for his father in the sheep. God loves lost people. God seeks after lost people because he loves them. And finally, this is a unique part of this passage in each of the three sections. Heaven rejoices when lost people are found. Look at verse 7. I say, this is Jesus kind of applying this first part of the parable. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Remember who he's speaking to. He's pointing these words at the Pharisees and the scribes, those who thought themselves already to be righteous and in, in no need of repentance. Jesus isn't confirming their own attitudes about themselves. He's challenging them. You think you're righteous, but you're really not. But notice what heaven does when lost people are found, when, when one sinner repents. There's joy in the presence of God. Verse 10, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the way that God views lost people. He loves them. He seeks them. And heaven along with him rejoice when lost people are found. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in heaven when one lost one person down here repents of their sins and comes to Christ? God throws a party. God is joy, and the angels with him. When one lost person realizes their, their sin, realizes their lost condition, and turns in faith and repentance and puts their trust in Jesus Christ. What a rejoicing. Notice what happens with the father and his son. The instant that the father sees his son, because he has compassion on his son, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then he ordered the servants, bring out the best robe, and put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. He must have been in a real state to see. He'd been working with pigs for several months. 
It probably smelled like it. It may have even looked like one. The father sees him coming. And because the father loves the son, he orders his servants to treat him as a son. Even though the son was willing to come home and be treated like a slave. Verse 32, as the father speaks to the older son, who really is more like the Pharisee than he is like the father. He says to him, it is right, the father is speaking here, it is right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The father rejoices in his household with him. And he can't understand why the, the older son won't join in that whole, that whole thing. God loves, God, rather, God cares and loves lost people. God seeks lost people. And Jesus himself said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And God and the angels along with him rejoice when lost people What do we, as God's people, do with all of that information? It's, it's a great read, isn't it? Talk about a thrilling novel. This is a great read, an exciting portion of Scripture. But it's more than just that. It's more than just a great read. Jesus spoke these words not just to the Pharisees who were standing in front of him, but Jesus speaks this parable to you and to me, to God's world. So what are we to make of all of this? In what ways do our perspectives about lost people need to change? In what ways do they already confirm or conform to these truths? Or what changes do we need to make? And if our perspectives we find in, in need of change, then that change involves a choice. What will we choose to do? First, let's take a look about our perspective concerning lost people. Lost people are not to be avoided. They're to be sought. I remember reading several years ago a book entitled Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary. I think that's the right, the right, uh, the right title. In that book, the author... I think it's Lee Strobel, I think, was the one who wrote that. He speaks about what happens when a person comes to know Christ. A person coming out of sin, coming out of an unsaved perspective and background, becoming a believer, and what happens to that individual afterwards. And he made the point of saying that in about two years after a person comes to know Jesus Christ, they have, from all intents and purposes, lost their connection with unsaved people. Not that they don't know any, not that they don't, you know, work with them or study with them or whatever, but they, 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 they spend the bulk of their time, the majority of their time, with believers. And that's what we teach believers, isn't it? When, when a person comes to know Jesus Christ, we teach them that it is a good thing, it is a godly thing to gather together with God's people, to fellowship with other believers, and to grow because of those connections. 
And, and that is the desire that God works in our heart. He gives us that desire to be with God's people. And we would all say, amen, that's right. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. But take a look at your weekly schedule. And, and block out the time that's already, that's already um, taken. That is work, school, things that you have to do. What do you do with the, with the time left? I dare say that a good portion of it may be here or in connection with the church ministry. Again, that is a good and godly thing. And please don't go home or come up to Pastor Dave af afterwards and say, that Herrick guy, what was he on about this morning? I simply want us to take a look at our our perspective concerning lost people. They are not to be avoided. They are to be sought. That is what it means to be a missionary. That is what it means to be a believer. That is what it means to be a disciple maker. We are looking for people. We are prepared to talk to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. So they're not to be avoided but sought. And I think we need, to, we need to think about our, our, our perspectives on the task of reaching them. Firstly, we need to accept the ownership of that task. It is not the pastor's job or the elder's job or the missionary's job solely to speak to lost people. It is our individual responsibility. This is my job. This is your job. This is our task. It belongs to me. It belongs to you. God has given us that commission to speak to people, to speak to lost people. The sheep, the shepherd rather, he didn't hire out someone to go looking for the sheep. The woman didn't hire a cleaning service to come and find her home. Father didn't, you know, send somebody else out to look for his son. That was their job. And they went about that job. It's our task to speak out to lost people. And it is not up to the lost person to come to find us. We need to initiate the search. In 33 years of ministry in Ireland, not once, not once did a lost person come to me on their own volition and say to me, John, can you, can you tell me about Jesus? Would you share with me about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, some people have asked that question, but they didn't ask that to begin with. It may have been over the course, as I shared earlier, it may have been over the course of several years before I had the opportunity, the clear opportunity to say to that individual, let's see what God says. Let's look at what God says about you and about me and what Jesus has done for us. Lost people don't find themselves. Lost people, for the most part, don't even realize they're lost. So it's up to us to initiate the search. God is like that shepherd. 
loved what she did for him and found him and rejoiced. The woman, God is like that woman. She lost the coin, searched for it, found it, and rejoiced. God is like the father who loved his son, saw his son, and rejoiced when his son came to him. Because God loves you. God loves us. And he seeks us. And you know what? He, he uses us to find lost people. That passage, passage I referred to in Matthew's gospel. He didn't go further than just verse 36, but verse 38 of that same chapter says, or 37 and 38 says this. Jesus commands his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. He says the, the, the work is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God is sending people into his harvest. And, it, and I'm not talking about leaving someplace and going someplace else. We are harvesters right where we are. We are sent into the harvest right in our own home, right in our own backyard, right in our communities, right at our workplaces, right at our schools. God has placed us there for the sole reason and purpose of reaching lost people. That is our job. That is our task. That is our joy. In conclusion, I just want to read a little article that I found in a Christian magazine. I can't even remember where it was, where I found it. But the story is told, the man who wrote it says, I recently read about an old man walking the beat at dawn. He noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. Catching up with the youth, he asked what he was doing. The answer that was the answer was that the stranded starfish would die if left until the morning sun. But the beach is the beach goes on for miles and there are millions of starfish, counted the old man. How can your effort make any difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hand, threw it to safety into the waves. It makes a difference to fish. Your search for lost people may not reach the world, but it'll mean the world of difference to the individual standing right there. That's how the gospel spreads. That's how the good news of Jesus spreads. When God's people love lost people as God loves them. God's people search for lost people as God searches for them. And together, with God, we rejoice with lost people. Father in heaven, thank you for the time we've had to spend here this morning. Thank you for singing, to be able to express our joy, to be able to express our praise in music. Thank you for those who led us in that worship. We thank you for the time that we've already spent with one another in casual conversation before the service. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we, we gain and we can give as we gather together in that way. But above and beyond all of those things, Father, we thank you for your word. <coughs> it is our guide. It is our field book 
It is our it is our teacher, it is our instructor. It tells us what and who you are. It tells us what you've done for us and it tells us what you want from us. It is our life source because it is your source. Lord, thank you for challenging us in the way that we think about you barring the law. We say that we love you and we do. We say that we want to we want to share the gospel. We want to share that good news with people so that those lost people can be found. And Lord, we, we, we do that when and where we can, but there's so much more to do. So many more people to see. And although we can't be everywhere in the world at the same time, and maybe we'll never leave this town or this area or this state, there are lost people all around us. Help us to see them respond to them as as you desire. Help us to be those big mouth people who are sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ.